Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And let's look at a huge thought in the life of Paul in regard to healing. For years and years, I loved 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I still do. I loved it because Paul talked about demonstrating the spirit and power. It was only when I became a practitioner of ministering in spirit and power that I was able to fully read the whole thing. And suddenly you see things that you hadn't seen before. When I came to you brothers, everyone with me? Say I if you are. I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Exciting, isn't it? That's what he said. When I came to preach in Corinth, he says, I was determined that there would be signs and wonders while I was preaching there. That's sort of what he's saying. But for years, I missed verse 3. Somehow, I just went blind when it came to verse 3. I never saw verse 3 in the whole scheme of things. He says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. So guess what? There's hope for you, isn't there? There's hope for you. When someone says, well, I really would like to serve God in such a way, but I get, I get nervous about doing it. Of course, I look at him a bit strange, like, so? You know, so what? I'm sorry, but so what? The Apostle Paul was absolutely terrified of this element of ministry. And and maybe he's particularly terrified of the whole supernatural edge, because that's the next verse on. He says, when I came, I was trembling. And and the Apostle Paul was a pretty tough bloke, don't you think? You know, he wasn't a big, big fairy, was he? You know, he was a tough, he was a man's man. Big, tough man, been in shipwrecks and... Been involved in stonings. So, you know, he wasn't like a little 14-year-old lad all afraid and, you know, help me mummy. He was a big, tough guy. And yet the Apostle Paul says, I was weak, I was fearful, and I was trembling. And I don't think the Apostle Paul was exaggerating. When, I, when he says he was trembling, I don't think he meant he was under the power of the anointing. I think it means he was trembling with actual fear. Trembling. 
So here's the bad news for me and for you. Even if we're trembling, we're still on. <laughs> now, you might well, I, that doesn't sound like good news, but it is sort of good news. Can you imagine being, being like Timothy or Silas? And Paul is sitting on the front row, you know, he's about to get up and preach, and he's shaking and oh, oh. And, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you think if you were Silas, you'd have said, Paul, are you sure you're in the right calling here? Are you sure this is what you ought to be doing? You, you don't seem to have a peace about this ministry at all. <laughs> You haven't really got a deep inner peace. No, he didn't have a deep inner peace. He was really rather afraid of doing it. Now, unless you have stood in a public place, put your hand upon someone with everyone watching and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, blind eyes open, you possibly don't know what it is to be weak and fearful and trembling. It is a totally terrifying thing to do. Because you can't see God. Quite often you can't feel anything except the, persp- you know, the perspiration and the sweat going in your eyes. <laughs> and a real deep need to go to the toilet. That's what you feel. Unless you've been in that scenario. But suddenly, that's, that's when these verses really suddenly leapt out. They became the main part of this passage. Whereas before I just skimmed over them. God wants to use us to minister to the sick, but it can be quite, it, it can be quite frightening to do. I've told this story so many times, but when the, uh, the, when the move of God began to happen here in 2005, just to fill you in, in case you weren't around or you don't know the story, we had an evangelist come in from Australia, and uh, my friend had told me about him, and he said, oh, he's really good, and... Uh, I looked at his website, and there were all these miracles. I thought, oh, yeah, he looks, like, he looks like the real deal. And he said, I've just been to a meeting in Aberdeen, I think it was, or somewhere in Scotland. And he said, there were five people at the meeting. So I thought, good, as a pastor, because you think, well, if I get six, it won't be the worst meeting he's ever done then. You know, they, you know we'll be all right. So I sent him an email, and I knew he was from Australia. So, you know, when you have an Australian, you don't think you're going to, get them next week in the church. You can't afford to bring, you can't fly them in. Church can't afford to fly people in. So I just sent him an email. It sort of said, dear John, if at all possible, at some point in the future, do you think you might consider coming to us? You know, no worries if you can't, etc., etc., etc. And And I left it. And within, I don't know, half an hour, I get an email ping back. Yes, we can come next Sunday. I'm thinking, oh, no, not next time. We can't afford it. You know, oh, no. Anyway, Jane and I went down to pick him up from Stansted Airport. And he did what he does everywhere he goes. He says, hi, mate, I got a bag. I can't do Australian accent color. But I got a bag here of, uh, of all my underpants. You think you can get these washed overnight and, you know, all this. So, oh, he's, he's, he's truly an apostle, isn't he? And uh, so Jane says, oh, yes. And then the other bag appears, you know. <laughs> There's another bag. I wonder if you can do these. I need these socks by 8 o'clock tomorrow. And uh, so we drove him back. And, I, and, you know, you're just trying to make conversation, really, with a total stranger. And he says to me, he says, mate, he says, there's going to be miracles tomorrow. It's going to be miracles. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And inside I'm thinking, I, I, you know, I, I hope there is because we're, we're doing all these pants. And, and we've, it's the middle of the night. We're at Stansted Airport. You know, I want to be, I want to be home, really. Anyway, blow me down if we didn't have three meetings of the most amazing miracle. People were healed in every meeting. And I, 
I said to him as, as it was coming to an end, I said, I don't want this to stop. So I wonder, would you pray for me at the end of uh, these meetings that this would carry on? I wanted to sort of catch something off him. And I remember when I asked him this, we were at the Hungry Horse over at Fenditton, which has since closed down, probably because of us being there. And uh, we took him out to the Hungry Horse, and he's a real health addict, and they don't do much health at the Hungry Horse. We needed to take him to the peckish donkey, really. But... uh, so he says to me over dinner, yeah, yeah, you know, um, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you. I thought he hasn't even heard me, you know. It's the biggest moment in my life, and he hasn't even heard me. So in the meeting, uh, all sorts of things were going on, people falling under the power and laughing and rolling around. It was just amazing. And he said, now I'm going to pray for Pastor, you know. Hey, he's, he's suddenly become American there. I'm going to pray for Peter here. And, and he prays for me, and I had my normal experience when anyone prays for me which is I felt absolutely nothing. Have you ever been like that? You know, you the whole line of people, they're all being thrown around the room and then the preacher comes to you. Ooh, okay, yeah, right, there's a, there's a resistor. All right, down we go, you know. <laughs> I had my Psalm 91 experience. A thousand may fall at your right hand and 10,000 there, but it shall not come nigh thee. And I thought, oh, well, nothing's happened. There you go, you know. Here I stand, I can do no other. And then we met the following week and shared a few testimonies, and it had been a great weekend. And then Phil and I would just began to pray for the sick. And would you believe it? Well, I know you will believe it, but the same anointing that was there the week before was with us. And people started to be healed, even though the evangelists had gone away. And to, to cut a long story short, or indeed, as I normally do, make a short story a little longer, this went on for ages. This went on for weeks and weeks and weeks until we almost had to sort of shut it down because we didn't want to be like a healing center. You know, we wanted to be a church. So we almost had to think, well, how can we, in a fun, I know some of you think, no, you shouldn't have shut it down. Well, actually, there are other things to do in church, like talk about adultery and, and you know, getting saved and um, forgiving people and, you know, good, good management of money and, you know, all these things that you have to talk about. So we sort of had to kind of close it down. But then we got this invitation to go and preach in someone else's church. So Phil and I went over there, and it was on the other side of, uh, uh, well, it, it was in Saffron Walden. And I said to the pastor, now, who's, who comes to this meeting? And he said to me, oh, just about four or five of us. Ten at the most. And I began to think, okay, what does that look like? What? What does 10 people in a meeting look like? It, it felt like it might be like a circle of people, like a house group or something like that. So we showed up, but he'd done a bit of promotion. And when we walked in, the room was packed with people with oxygen machines and sticks. And uh, I'm telling the truth, it was amazing, just packed with all these people. And I remember thinking, that, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I thought, we're, we're finished. So I got up and I preached a message, my very best message. And it wasn't on healing at all. It was just my best message because I thought to myself, no one's going to be cured. So at least they'll go away and say, that was a good message though, wasn't it? We're, we're all ill, but boy, point three, that was a corker, wasn't it? So I preached... And I preached for a long time because if I preached for a long time, maybe some of these people would go home. And then when I finished, 
eventually made up a few more points that weren't, weren't, you know, on the paper. And then I said to Phil, do you remember? I said, will you get up and give a testimony? And, and I'm just trying to widen it out to the point where we're going to have to say, is anyone here sick? And we, what a stupid question. They were all sick. And I didn't feel very well myself. Would anyone here like prayer? All the hands and the sticks, you know, go up in the air. But I slightly exaggerate now. But, you know, every, everyone was sick. So they all came to the front. I remember this. And I stood there. I thought, oh, no. So I'm looking for, I thought, now, who can I look, look for? Someone who's maybe not very ill. <laughs> and there was a lady here who couldn't move her neck. So I thought, well, I'll give that a go. Uh, so, it's, you know, talk about weak and fearful and trembling. So I just said, what is it you can't do? She said, I can't move my neck. I said, well, in Jesus' name, move it. And bang, she was healed straight away and moved her neck. Everyone went, hallelujah. And inside I'm thinking, whoa. So we started to pray for them. And bang, one, one after the other, one after the other, one after the other. One young man came out. I said, what's wrong with you? He said, nothing. I thought it was a bit strange. I thought maybe he's a sound man or something come out. He said, no. He said, I've had a real... Uh, real bad stomach pain, but he said, just by standing up and coming to the front, I've been cured. Just by standing and coming to the front. And I was looking for Phil, you know, I think, what's happened to Phil? And Phil was over in a corner praying for a deaf lady. And she starts to hear. I said, Lord, that's not fair. He was just a driver, you know. Uh, what's going on? He's just supposed to be driving. I'm selling the book. No, I didn't really. I was ex- excited as anything. So he's over there going, oh, praise God, this lady was deaf, you know. He's... <laughs> it was just amazing. We jumped in the car, drove away. Do you remember that night? I'll never forget it. And uh, I'm only exaggerating this story slightly. It really was as stunning as this. The miracle geezers. But at the time, so when people look back on that, what a great night. But when I look back on it, all I think about is I lengthened the message, right? I got Phil up to give a long testimony. Felt like saying, can you go back to the 1970s, Phil? Can you go back to before you were born? Looking for the fire escapes. How can we get out of here? I thought, are we going to be the first evangelist to be killed, battered to death by walking sticks and oxygen machines? Upon our making this, you could be as fearful as you like. Because God's not ill. And God's not afraid. See? We're afraid. He's not afraid. So tonight, <laughs> let verse 3 leap out and hit you between the, you know, between the eyes. That we've got to pray for the sick even if we're frightened. Even if we feel nervous. Even if we feel, you know, it's not going to work. Or what's this going to be like? We pray for the sick, not because we're anointed from on high or because we feel that, but because we've got a conviction that God's good, God heals people, and I need to obey him and pray for the sick. The results are up to God. So timidity, maybe verse 2, is really, really key. It says, I resolved, I think the King James, I was determined or something like that. See, you have to be determined. There's a lady in my class at college. She is, she's got a Pentecostal conviction. Just let me give you something very precious. 
some people have got a conviction that church ought to be more than just singing hymns and hearing homilies and going home. Some people have got a conviction that it should be more. It should be a demonstration of the kingdom of God. Now, it shouldn't just be the demonstration of the kingdom. It needs to be preaching. It needs to be worship. We, we give financially. We care for each other. All these things are all part of church. But some people have got a conviction that this is how it ought to be. With power as well. And I give this promise tonight. If you have a conviction that church should be more than just standing, sitting, hymns, homilies, go home. If you have that conviction, no one can give you that conviction. Only God gives you that um, conviction. If you've got that conviction, you are more blessed than the person sitting next to you. You are more blessed. Because you will press through when you, and it hasn't happened and you pray for people and now they've died, you know, and it's, you know, etc. Cetera, et cetera. You're going to press through until you see it come to pass. There's a lady in my class at college. She's got this conviction. She's always wanting to talk about healing, always wanting to know the answer. I said, the answer begins with a P. She says, yes, prayer. I said, no, another word, perseverance. Because lots of people pray, but other people pray and persevere. And it's perseverance that brings about the miraculous of God. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. Even in the testimony we heard earlier, you pray and then you pray again. That's why we said last week, pray little, test much. Do you remember that little phrase? Pray little, test much. That's what we saw the Australian man come and do. He didn't do much praying at all. He just went, be free in Jesus' name, Skippy. And, and it was just like nothing. You think, well, what? And then they weren't healed, so we pray for them again. Jesus set you free. Right, how are you now? And we saw him model this. We saw him model this right in front of us. Healing the sick through perseverance. Second Corinthians 12 and verse 12 says, the things that mark an apostle, signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. Persevere, and you'll see a breakthrough, an incredible breakthrough. I don't just mean over a period of 30 years. I mean, Jane's arm isn't well, I'm going to pray. How do you feel now? No, it's not. I'm going to pray again. How do you feel now? No, I'm going to pray again. Oh, it's no better now. Oh, it's feeling a little bit better. Oh, let's just pray again. And you keep doing it. You won't let go of God. Now, of course, at some point, you have to go home and eat. Right? But, but very rarely, very rarely is that sort of the case. Is that really the reason why we go? We go because we think, oh, well, you know, nothing's going to happen. I prayed twice. Do you remember the, the story of Naaman who was had leprosy and he went to Elisha and he had to dip in the Jordan. Anyone remember how many times he had to dip in the Jordan? Seven times. So what about if he'd only dipped in the Jordan five times? He'd still be leprous now. Well, well, or until the day of his death, yes? So there's something about praying again and again and again. And this is why uh, I'm, I'm really on to my main uh, topic here now. So forgive me being passionate about this. But that's why really we have to, and I've, uh, it's not a, 
I can't be critical of it because I'm a pastor, so in a sense I'm partly to blame as well. Somehow churches meet, the church meetings are not really uh, given over. There's not enough time really to really minister to the sick. Uh, like that guy said, I want you to come to Norwich and zap some people. Well, well, well we're not into zap. We're not into zappery. We're not into zappage. You need to take time with people. Find out their name. Pray for them. How do you feel now? I'm no better. Let me pray for you again. And that's why if you just have one person doing all the praying, then it doesn't work. Even if you believe one person has a special gift or some sort. Because actually, I think, I think there's a corporate anointing, actually. So I think if you've got someone with a gift of healing in the room, that anointing actually is all over the room. I throw that in for free, but I found that to be the case. And I, I remember one time I was in Plymouth praying for a guy. And I said, well, what's wrong? He said, oh, my legs, you know, terrible legs. And they click and there's pain. I said, so what, what happened to you? He said, a caravan fell on me. Ooh. So then everyone in the room's hearing that thinking, how did that happen? Trying to imagine it, you know, like, like maybe you are now. How did that happen? So I start praying for him. And, he, you know, he's here. Let me just give you a picture. So he's right here where Tim is. I'm praying for him. And there's a whole row of other people here. And so I'm praying for him. And there's a, it's an enormous temptation to pray for him. How do you feel now? Uh, uh, he's no better. Okay, well, God bless you and move on to the next. There's a huge temptation, you see. But, I, but sometimes we, you just have to stay with people, yes? Stay with people. Now, that's all very well and good. As long as you're not one of these people along here. I love you, Lord. When's he going to come and pray for me? I've got to go home in a minute. And I wouldn't do it. And I stayed with this, this caravan man. Lord, I rebuke this pain. May his legs, you know, be healed. And nothing was happening. And I'm having to have faith. The musician is now on the fifth repeat of this song. And he's trying to use the force to get another music sheet to come and land on his podium thing. <laughs> Musicians know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and all the way along, all these people are like, I love you, Lord. And they think, what was he doing under the caravan anyway? <laughs> to make a short story even longer. The point is, the man was healed. After a while, suddenly, all the pain left his legs. And I, he said, they're still clicking, but there's no pain. And I prayed one more time, and then the clicking went away, and he was healed. But I'm telling you, I have a feeling he wouldn't have been healed had I not stayed with him, you see. Perseverance. Oh, the answer is prayer. No, the answer is perseverance. Everybody prays, but not everybody perseveres. If you've got a conviction about healing, stay with it. Don't let times when nothing happens throw you. Keep at it. We love people. Sometimes we have to heal the sick. Sometimes we have to care for the sick. Both things are biblical things. But perseverance is a very, very key thing. Two more. Go to Galatians chapter 4. And this, I think, will mean a lot to many people here. I saved all these real good ones for um, this evening. And here, maybe, is one of the great 
principles of healing from the life of Paul that I think is so helpful and so astonishing. Paul writes this book, Galatians. Now we're going to have a look in chapter 4. But um, (coughs) would anyone like to win a Mars bar or whatever we've got in the cafe downstairs and just remind us the names of the towns in Galatia? Anybody? Lystra, Antioch, Iconium and... You all got Derby, didn't you? You got that one down. That all right, you've all shared a Mars bar, but it won't be much each. It's true. So Paul ministered in Galatia. And, and if you remember, there were all sorts of miracles there. They worshipped him as a god. But watch something here. Watch this. Galatians 4, verse 13. As you know, he writes to them, It was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God. Verse 15, I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Here's an amazing piece from Paul's diary. I really want you to concentrate. I really want you to get this. It might be revelatory for you. It might be a blessing to you. The book of Acts is the story. Paul going into Galatia, working the miracles. But the book of Galatians is a bit like Paul's diary, Paul's version of the events. Now, does anyone know what I'm going to say? Look, Paul went to Galatia, raised up a man, jumped up on his feet and was healed. Paul went into Galatia and was honored like a Greek god for the mighty signs and wonders that he did. And now we read the diary entry of that same season of his life. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Look at me a moment. When Paul ministered powerfully in Galatia, he was ill himself. (laughs) It's amazing. He was ill himself. And this, I think, is is an enormous help. It's a help to me. Because there can be this thought, well, how can I pray for people when I'm ill? Or how can I pray for someone's breakthrough when I need a breakthrough myself? How can I pray for someone's bad back if I've got a bad back? Well, here we have an amazing uh, truth from the scripture. That's exactly what you can do. Now, what was Paul's illness? He doesn't tell us. There's a hint that it might have been to do with his eyes, but maybe not. He says, you know, you would have torn your eyes out for me if you could. Maybe he had... Something wrong with his eyes. But he doesn't really say that. But he certainly says in verse 14 that his illness was a great trial. And once again, Paul was a tough guy, you know. So if Paul said it was a trial, then it wasn't a cold. It wasn't a a rash above the ear. 
It wasn't a bit of a headache just before he went to bed. Paul had an illness that was a massive trial, he says. A trial. And yet, in Lystra, a man is there, he's preaching away, sick. Looks at the man and says, stand up on your feet. And God's power comes to that man and heals him up. Isn't that amazing? One of the great stories from the revival a few years ago here was when Phil drove me to Debden one night. Now, there are various versions of this trip to Debden, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But I want to give you the truth. Phil was a little late. Well, he wasn't late. He just believed there was a road going to Debden that there will be sometime in the future. It's a new road. It's so new, they haven't built it yet. And so we're down at Stansted and we need to be in Debden, which is the other side of Saffron Walden, in about four minutes. Not even an aeroplane's going to get us there. And Phil drove at some speed. So I've, in fact, at one point I felt that we were traveling back in time. When we got to the meeting, Ray, who was our colleague at, at that time here, was leading Leading another song, you know. Why don't we sing another one? You know, wait for us to come in. We burst through the door. Hallelujah, you know, let's all sing. Oh, hallelujah, he has come. And um, so I got up to preach. And in that meeting, there was a guy there called Fred Dare. Now, I didn't know this man then, but I've heard his testimony since. That's why I know his name. Fred Dare. And Fred Dare had a problem in his leg. And the guys gathered around. I think Dave Donovan was there. And praying with him. And while they prayed for him, there was a noise. <coughs> there was a noise that came out of his leg. And God healed him. And it, there was an audible sound. A very unusual thing to occur. But that's why we remember it. Twelve months later, Fred Dare is still wonderfully cured. Can't understand how it's happened. And he testifies on the BBC. Wonderful. But what was not obvious that night. The reason why Phil was the driver that night was because I was so ill I couldn't drive to that meeting. And Phil had to come and pick me up out of a sick bed. I came to the meeting, preached, and then as soon as the meeting was over, I said, let's go. We got in the car, we drove home, and I went straight back to bed. Ill. And he said, well, what's that about? Well, that's about being determined. (laughs) That's what that's about. That's about believing that the Holy Spirit is never ill. Even if we're ill, you see. The Holy Spirit is never powerless, even if we feel a bit powerless. God is always at the top of his game. Can you say amen? Amen. So I think this is an amazing revelation here, that Paul himself was often quite ill. We haven't even gone into 2 Corinthians 12 where he talks about a being buffeted by a satanic angel and whatever that may mean. But we don't even need to go there to think about that because it's very clear here what he's saying. He was ill. I know that uh, Jane doesn't like me telling this story, but whenever you go abroad, it's always good to take medicine. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Because the food is just strange. And uh, so just before I went to Brazil on one occasion, Jane said, why don't you take these with you? And she gave me a little box of tablets, and I don't want to say what they were called, but the first letter was I, and followed by an M. And then, um, 
So I said to her, I won't need these. I, I'm, I'm a man of faith and power. She said, no, 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 take them. And she threw them and they ended up in the bag. And, oh, I'm so glad of them. And uh, by about the third day, I was whacking them back. Was it say on it, take, you know, take three a day. I'm going to believe God and take six. <laughs> Pray they don't do me any harm. And I just, I can vividly remember being in Concisal Alagoras or something in Brazil, standing in a, in a sports hall, and I always pretend I'm Rana Bonke in these big meetings. So I stood there, waved my hand, Jesus healed! <laughs> As I was saying that, I could hear these pills rattling inside my suit here. Thinking, oh, praise God, I'll soon be able to take another one. Paul traveled with Dr. Luke. Wonder why? Luke was the beloved physician. Colossians 4 says he traveled with Dr. Luke. Why? Now, who should I take with me? The doctor or this geezer? I think, I think I'll take the doctor. Travel with a physician. Not only that, but Paul was a great believer in taking medicine. 1 Timothy 5, verse 23. The apostle encourages Timothy to take his tablets. Pentecostal people do not believe in the evils of medicine. Quite the contrary. Probably 50% of the people in this room are on medicine right now. Turn to your neighbor and say, I wonder if it's you. (laughs) But we thank God for medicine. Thank God for medicine. Why don't we, the same faith we have in the miraculous, actually I also have that God has given wisdom to physicians to develop Skills to develop medication. I believe it. And I don't see it as a, as an inconsistency. Verse 23, uh, 1 Timothy 5. Paul writing to Timothy, one apostle writing to another apostle. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine. Wow, don't tell the assemblies of God that. Uh, use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. He actually prescribes to him a medicinal approach. You know, your, your stomach's not good, so why don't you use a bit of wine? And he, in a sense, he's encouraging him to take medical care of himself, yes? And we could look at a whole lot of other examples of that during the Bible. Even Isaiah, in chapter 38, receives a prophecy uh, in the presence of the dying king to prescribe the right medicine for him. This is Isaiah. Isaiah was pretty good, you know. He, he wasn't a second-rate evangelist. Uh, he, was, he was Isaiah. But God speaks to him and says, I want you to go to the king and tell him this is the medicine you must take. Can I just throw this in? It is God's goodness when a doctor gives you the right pill. Yes? That is God's goodness to you. Uh, that's not a lack of faith. I, and I, let's just say this as well. We don't encourage anyone to throw away their medicines and things like this. I, I wonder what the logic is behind that in as much as, do you know, if I come and have an encounter with God, and then I go home and I take my pill or whatever, what are we, have we just thought this through? Are we saying that God will unheal me because I'm taking paracetamol? Is that, what we, is that what we believe? That if I go and take the drugs, 
that God will unheal me? So if you really think that, I just wanted to ask you, why, why would you think that? That's a very odd thing to believe. Very odd thing to believe. You're suggesting that God gives us a little probationary period. Let's see if you believe me or not. And if you go and take a paracetamol, oh, you naughty boy, and strips your healing, oh, well, you're ill, you deserve to be, because you went and had that, that magnesium tablet that I forbid you to have. You know, come on. Now, what I'm, I'm, I know I'm being flippant, but it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So if you healed, praise God, let a doctor tell you, come off your pills then. Let a doctor tell you that. Don't let a preacher tell you that. Let a doctor tell you that. It is not a lack of faith to continue to look after your body. God will not unheal people who take medicine. That is a very bizarre theology indeed. One more and I'm finished. Number 10, Paul had a theology of death. So that's not a great place to finish. Well, it is really. Paul believed... And we won't look at all these scriptures, but it's, you know, it's over in Romans 8, it's in 1 Corinthians 15. It's all in the book, available from all good bookshops. Paul believed that this body was subject to decay. So he believed that one day we were all going to die. He believed that. Lazarus died. You know that, don't you? Lazarus was raised from the dead and he died again. You can't go over to Bethany now to Lazarus' gift shop and meet the man. He's died. He died again. Jairus' daughter died again. Yes, you see? So, it, uh, Paul believed that the body, that flesh and blood would not inherit the kingdom of God. He knew that in order for us to go to heaven, we'd have to be transformed in our bodies. So, the body was not supposed to live forever anyway. And so, all healing is, in a sense, temporary anyway. In a sense, it's all temporary until the great resurrection when we will discard this, you know, body for a glorified body. And Paul had a great theology of death that we also must embrace. That if God wants to come and take someone to be with himself, that that's a glorious thing as well. That we know in part, we prophesy in part, we are suggesting that we also heal in part. We're not supposed to go to Adderbrooks and pray and, and, you know, take everyone out of there. In John chapter 5, Jesus goes into a hospital, heals one person and comes out. So, so even a, a greatly gifted and anointed person is not given permission or some authority from God to go into a hospital and say, right, nurses, down the job center with you all because I'm about to pray and all these people are leaving. Follow me. You know, that's not, not, not only does that not happen, but that's not, that's not what God's plan is. Paul had a belief in suffering. He believed that new bodies were required in heaven. Paul believed that the spirit was a foretaste of that which is to come, but not the whole thing. So we have a bit of a taste of heaven, but not the whole thing. Let me finish 
by taking you to 1 Corinthians 13. Read at every wedding since 1922. But actually a chapter about the power of God. And its correct place. Love never fails. Verse 8. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Because they will, won't they? When we go to heaven. You're not going, you're not going to want a word, are you? Oh, I, I see you in a blue suit. Yeah, you know, I'm wearing it now. <laughs> where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. No one's going to speak in tongues in heaven. There'll be no need to. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. I want to finish with this one little thought. Have you ever had, I'm sure you have, had a day in the middle of winter and it's freezing and... uh, People have got the heating on and they're cold and it's not very nice and it's miserable and the rain and all that happening. And then suddenly, one one afternoon, the sun shines and everyone looking out going, and everyone says, oh, it's like a summer's day. And they think no one else has said it in the whole town that day. But everyone's going around going, oh, it's like a summer's day. That's how we're going to talk. It's it's like a summer's day. It's it's like a summer's day. And just for a couple of hours, it's almost like summer came. But it didn't last because it isn't summer. It's winter. And it fades away and now you're back to the wind and the rain again. The kingdom of God has come and is also to come. And there are moments when out of the winter and rain of this life, the power of the Holy Spirit moves in a place and it's like heaven has come early. In 1991, I was healed of epilepsy on the 26th of November, about half past nine at night in the De Montfort Hall in the city of Leicester. I'd had epilepsy for a decade. God set me free. I stopped having fits. And I don't know how long ago that is, but it's 20 years, 22 years ago coming up. Amazing. I had a little bit of heaven early, didn't I? Other people have to wait until they go to heaven to get that taste. Other people get a little taste early. Some people get a starter dish, you see. But I want to promise you this. One day, everyone in this room will be cured of everything in the kingdom of God. Until such a day, though, it's possible that at times as we press in and persevere, believe God and know the goodness of God, that the powers of the coming age break through, as Hebrews says. And we get a bit of the summer in the middle of the winter. 
And I believe that's what healing is. So like Paul, we will see both the miraculous and we will also see suffering. We'll be aware of our own frailty, both mentally and physically. We will heal in part, but we will also play our part in bringing in the flow of the kingdom of God. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless, and goodbye.